there are a couple of off the tops for us to address. And let's start off the top with this. Now, of course, we are in the beginning days of the streaming wars. For a long time, Netflix had the entire playground to itself. Amazon Video came around. There were other services like Crackle, whatever. But now we've got like HBO Max. We've got Peacock. Good service. I just still hate saying the name. Uh, we, of course, have Disney Plus, which just did a big thing. The, the streaming wars have begun. Now, one of the hallmarks of Netflix, one of their most consistently popular shows the whole time they have been on is The Office. Now, we knew for some time that The Office was going to be departing Netflix and going to its real true home over on NBC Universal's Peacock Network. It's just been now made. It's official now. It's completely official. Netflix itself has notified its its uh, subscribers that on its comings and goings, December 31st is going to be the final day that you'll be able to find The Office on Netflix. And I thought it was worth bringing this up because everybody knows that The Office is a popular show on Netflix, right? Everybody knows that it's popular. Sure. I don't think people fully understand just how popular and important The Office has been to Netflix because, you know, we live in a world where they put up this great, you know, limited series Queen's Gambit, which I'm sure is going to win some Emmys, or they put up this movie of the month, or they put up this hot series of the month and, you know, they climb to the top of the charts on Netflix. But always just below those flavor of the month movies and shows they put up is in their top lists is always The Office. Here's the thing, though. Queen's Gambit is not their number one thing anymore. You know, Queen's Gambit comes and goes. Their movie of the month comes and goes. Their hot new series comes and goes. But The Office is always there at, at or near the very top of the viewership habits of the people who watch Netflix. It leaving could have some real repercussions. Now, first of all, the office moving over to Peacock is sure to be a big boon for Peacock. Like if, if there are probably a lot of people that still haven't checked out Peacock, I was very dubious of it just because of the name. I shouldn't have been just because of the name. I still hate the name. But you know what? I signed up for Peacock when my wife, Anne, expressed that she was interested in checking out my all-time favorite show, Battlestar Galactica. It's on Peacock. Signed it up. And you know what? It's a good service. Peacock's a good service. But now the office moving over there obviously is going to be a big bolster to Peacock, for sure. That's, that's going to be a, a nice feather in their cap, per se. Will it hurt Netflix? I don't know. I mean, they lost Friends, right? When Friends went over to HBO Max, that was another big performer for them. But now they're losing The Office. And I can't help but wonder if The Office, which is to a lot of people I know who use Netflix, something they watch every day. Like without, and I'm sure you do too. I am absolutely sure you know some people who are friends of yours that have Netflix, who literally will watch an episode or two of The Office every single day. And I cannot help but wonder if this might cause some kind of migration. I'm not saying it will, but when you have a show that that's, that's that important, even on a, a platform like Netflix that has a billion pieces of content, I wonder how big the impact will be. Again, I'm not making any predictions. I'm just saying it makes me wonder. Anyway, guys, question is, what do you think about this? It's 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 official. We've known for a while, but now Netflix is even saying December 31st, the office is gone. How big of an impact do you think it's going to have? 
Is it going to affect your viewing habits of Netflix? Will it cause you to try out this Peacock service? I still hate saying the name. If you have not checked it out already, what do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top. And this one is pretty interesting. You know, recently Disney did their big Investor's Day announcements last week, and it was nuclear. It was unbelievable how much stuff that they announced. One of the most exciting things to me, I mean, my most exciting thing they announced was that they were going to do a Shogun series on FX. Mm. I've been waiting for that for decades. Anyway, one of the most exciting things, though, I think most people would agree that they announced was that Patty Jenkins, one of the uh, one of my favorite directors, probably a top 10 favorite director of mine in Hollywood right now. And she's got her Wonder Woman 84 movie coming out here in just about 11 days from now on uh, HBO Max. Patty Jenkins is coming over and she is going to do a Rogue One movie or a Rogue Squadron movie, I should say. Rogue One's already been done, John. Yes, a Rogue Squadron movie. And it was the coolest announcement they did. Like her, Patty, if you guys didn't see the stream, Patty Jenkins, she's like on some runway and she's telling the story about how, you know, her father was a uh, fighter pilot uh, in the military. He died serving his country, which is like really cool to hear. And she's talked about how she's always wanted to find and make the greatest like fighter pilot movie of all time. That's always been like her dream and her goal. And she said, I've always tried to find that story. And now I found the story. And then she puts on an X-wing fighter helmet, walks down the runway as the camera turns and you see an X-wing on the runway. It's just the coolest way. That was the coolest way to announce anything that they did on that stream. Well, understandably so, that got a lot of people talking about, you know, is it going to be, of course, there's the old Rogue Squadron novels, and will it be based on this? Will it be based on that? Will it be based on all these kind of things? Will it be a direct interpretation of a certain story here or there? Well, Patty Jenkins has just kind of said something that is not surprising to me, but may surprise some people. And that's the fact that the Rogue Squadron movie she's working on is not actually going to be based on any of the books or video games. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise, and we'll talk about this in a second, but let's go over specifically. She was doing an interview with IGN. She said the following, uh, in the Star Wars Rogue Squadron movie, we're doing something original with great influence from the games and the books. For sure, there's influence. There's a lot of things being acknowledged and understood about the greatness of all those things, but yes, it is an original story, and I am so psyched to do it. Now, look, the reason I say this really shouldn't surprise any of us that they're, it's going to be a completely original story is this is the way they've been doing comic book movies forever, right? Comic book movies are never a direct adaptation. Like when they did the Thor movie, that was not a direct, you know, Kenneth Branagh's great, magnificent Thor movie. That was not a direct adaptation of any single singular story that they pulled out of the MCU, uh, the Marvel comics. When they even when they do movies with the exact title from the comics, say X Men: Days of Future Past, it is very rarely uh, similar to the actual comic strip. Like the movie X Men: Days of Future Past is radically different from the actual comic story of X Men: Days of Future Past, um, and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's really not a surprise to me that Patty Jenkins is going to do an original story, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, Patty Jenkins has shown. 
She can tell remarkable stories. She's works great with performers. And for them to do an original story while being influenced and inspired by things that are in the Legends uh, playground, I think sets is the perfect mixture. I really do. Now, just because she says it's not going to be directly based on any of the books or video games, that doesn't mean she can't cherry pick elements out, right? Like a lot of people were wondering when they announced this, like, will Wedge Antilles be a part of this? No reason he couldn't be. I don't think it's a guarantee that he would be, and he doesn't have to be, but he very well could be. So for me, it's going to be very interesting to see how Patty Jenkins decides to navigate all this. But as far as I'm concerned, I think it's a great call to make it all purely original while drawing influence from that older source material. Question is, guys, what do you think about that? I think it's a good move. Maybe you have some concerns. If so, jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with those off the tops out of the way, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campia Show? Well, it's really simple. You guys come up with our main topics. See, anytime you come across a big topic or story that you think we should make a main topic here on the John Campia Show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down... Let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Daniela J. And Daniela J writes, the Marvel news just keeps coming. It certainly does. Kevin Feige confirmed a lot of casting rumors on Investor Day, but there was no mention of Jamie Alexander. She, of course, played Lady Sif in the original Thor movie and in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as a matter of fact. Now I'm seeing Deadline is reporting her return to the Thor franchise and an appearance in the Loki TV series. A lot of people have asked for this over the years, and it seems like it is finally happening. What are your thoughts on this move? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Daniela. And yeah, listen, I am uh, a big fan of Jamie Alexander. I loved her turn as Sif in both the Thor movies and I, even though I'm not a big fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I liked it when she appeared on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm a fan. I even really like her show Blindspot. Uh, I thought that show was great. I really enjoyed that show. And I was very fortunate and lucky enough that uh, I, sh I actually had Jamie Alexander as my guest on a panel I did at one of the conventions. And she was as wonderful as you may expect she would be. Uh, so that's always good. So I was thrilled. Now, a lot of people were asking, you know, why did Lady Sif suddenly disappear? Some people thought, did she get dusted? And there was some contradictory information that went back and forth about whether or not she dusted. Not really sure. But even before that, like, where did she just suddenly go? She was part of, you know, Lady Sif and the Warriors 3. We saw what happened to the Warriors 3. But whatever happened to Lady Sif, the fact that they are now saying that she is going to be back in Thor Love and Thunder. And again, this is not coming from, you know, John Campia's stupid YouTube channel or, or Gus's gas station dot fart movie reviews. This is actually coming from Deadline, who is reporting that she's going to be back. But one of the most interesting things about this was not just the fact that they said she's going to be back in Thor 4. She's going to be in Loki now. The deadline report was clear to say Marvel would not give us any comment. 
So they reached out to Marvel directly after they found out from their sources that she was returning for Thor Love and Thunder and was going to be in Loki and Marvel wouldn't give them any information right now. Obviously no denials, but they didn't want to give them any information. Clearly Marvel was not yet ready for this news to drop. I think that's probably why we didn't hear Kevin Feige say anything about it. I think this was going to be, you know, it's funny. Marvel is neat in that way in that they will sometimes be cool with letting big information come out. But sometimes relatively smaller bits of information they like to keep tucked away as a little bit of a surprise. This seems to fit into that, right? Christian Bale as the villain. That's huge. Lady Sif returning isn't quite as big as that news, but it seems like they're trying to keep that one tucked away. Personally, I love this. I think this is a great addition to it. I cannot wait to watch this. I was already excited about seeing this movie anyway, but now I'm even more hyped. Question is, guys, what do you think? about the reports coming out from Deadline that Jamie Alexander is returning as Lady Sif to Thor and Loki. That's that's the part to me that I find extremely uh, intriguing and appealing. I really, really want to see this. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by... TJ Vance and TJ Vance writes, have you had the chance to see the nobody trailer, uh, the nobody trailer yet? If yes, I would love to hear your reaction. I'm excited. Bob Odenkirk is getting the John Wick treatment. Also, uh, do you think it will play in theaters in February or go the on demand route? You know, right now, I'm not really sure what they're going to do with this. I'm really not. Uh, I, I don't have any indication yet. I, I didn't really look into it about whether or not it's going to go the straight to uh, straight to streaming route or not. So I'm not really sure about that, to be honest. I was just kind of taken with the trailer itself. Now, for those of you who haven't seen, there's this new movie coming out, Bob Odenkirk. And if you have seen it, a lot of people kind of commented that it seemed a little bit like a John Wick ripoff, right? And frankly, that is fair. When you watch the Nobody trailer, you'd have to be partially blind not to recognize and see that this has a lot of John Wickisms in it, like a lot of John Wickisms in it, for sure, both in its style and in its substance. It felt a lot like John Wick. Well, there's a reason for that. It's done by the same guys who do John Wick. Uh, this comes to us from the folks at Screen Rant who write, uh, nearly three years after the film's initial announcement, remember it was a long time ago that they announced this film, audiences now get uh, a look at the first Red Band Nobody trailer, which shows Odenkirk, who of course plays Saul in Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, which shows Odenkirk stepping directly into the gun-wielding, ultra-violent shoes of prolific hitman John Wick. Nobody, uh, nobody was written by Derek Kolstad, who penned the scripts for all three John Wick movies and is produced by David Leach, a co-director of the first John Wick alongside Chad Stileski. So look, if you watched this trailer and you felt like this feels an awful lot like John Wick, well, there you go. And you know what? It completely does. It completely does. This feels like a self ripoff of John Wick. I don't know if they're going to say this movie happens in the same universe as John Wick or not. That would be interesting, I suppose. I don't think they are, but that would be an interesting plot twist, kind of like the end of um, of uh, not Glass. Why why am I forgetting the name of the one before Glass? Well, you know, the end of that one, when you realize, oh my gosh, this is in the same universe as Unbreakable. Maybe they'll do the same thing with nobody. I doubt it, but that would be interesting at any, at any rate. 
it is kind of a blatant ripoff. Even if it is the same writer and the same co-director, it feels like a bit of a blatant ripoff. But here's the catch. The trailer is so good, I didn't care. The trailer is so good, I simply didn't care that it felt like a ripoff. Seeing Bob Odenkirk, you know, kind of like this nobody, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, a switch flips. And he's this, what did he call himself? An adjuster or something like that? Um, and uh, I can't remember exactly what he called himself, but something along those lines. And then all of a sudden he goes completely into John Wick mode and I was eating it up blatant ripoff, maybe, but it looked awesome. And at the end of the day, that's all I really care about. And one of the cool things about this too, is the fact that you've got Bob Odenkirk himself in it because Bob Odenkirk, mostly because of the comedy history that he has, but also playing Saul, I don't think we really see him. In this kind of a role, right? We, we don't think of Bob Odenkirk being in this kind, playing this kind of a character. And I think that little bit of sticker shock kind of adds to the effectiveness of the trailer. Now, look, I cannot blame you at all. If you were one of the people who are looking at this trailer and saying, nah, it just feels too much like a ripoff to me, so I'm just not going to bother. Listen, I can't blame you because I get it. I do. All I can do is speak for myself and say the trailer was so good, it overrode that for me anyway. Question is, guys, what do you think about this trailer for nobody if you've seen it already? Do you think like it feels a little too much like a John Wick ripoff? Do you not really care about it like I don't really care about it? Maybe you just didn't think the trailer was all that good. What are your thoughts? Jump down into the comments section below and leave your comments there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic Number three, and our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Edson M, who writes, Hello, John and Rob, and unfortunately, Rob's not here today. AMC Theaters released information that they are going to run out of money sometime in January. With all the uncertainty in the market right now, when it comes to movies, how likely is it that anyone else is going to give them money to stay afloat? Is this the end of the biggest movie theater chain in the world or just a temporary obstacle? Thank you. All right. Thanks for sending that in. And look, one of the within the world of entertainment and within the world of movies, uh, one of the biggest stories involving the whole pandemic and COVID thing has been, again, remember, just talking within this little box of the world of movies, one of the biggest stories has been the plight of AMC theaters and the trouble that they have been in and they have been in a lot of trouble. Now look, every single movie theater chain in the world has been in trouble and is in trouble because of the pandemic, how can you be a business when you have no product and no customers? Now you try being a fish market with nobody there to buy fish. And even if they were there to buy fish, you don't have any fish to sell them. That is the scenario. That is the predicament that the good folks at AMC, Regal, Cineworld, Cinemark, you name it, that's the position they all find themselves in. AMC has been in a particularly bad spot, though. They've been in it a little particularly worse, and we'll cover why in just a minute. But now the urgency of how bad their situation is and the imminence of how close they're getting to the cliff has become a little bit more clear in the statements they put out themselves. Now, this comes to us from the folks at Variety who write, AMC Theaters, the world's largest cinema chain, has issued a sobering warning as the coronavirus pandemic stretches into winter. We're running out of money. 
In an SEC filing on Friday, the struggling movie theater company warned its resources may be drained as early as next month. That's January. In the absence of additional liquidity, the company anticipates that existing cash resources will be depleted during January of 2021. Whether that's the beginning of January, end of January, mid-January, not sure. But their, their cash resources will be depleted by January of 2021, the company wrote. This is not good. Now, listen, there's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride going on with AMC, right? Uh, certain things happen and AMC skyrockets, AMC stock skyrocketed for a bit. And then like Warner Brothers announces all their 2021 movies are going to go to HBO Max and their stock crashed. Then Disney announced a number of their big projects are still going to go to theaters. Their stock recovered a bit and, and all that kind of stuff. So AMC has been going through this nauseating roller coaster ride up and down, up and down, up and down. Let's take a look at what makes their predicament particularly bad right now. Let's, let's jump into the Campion classroom for a second and see how this is particularly bad right now. The first thing to understand why they were in kind of a rougher position than a lot of the other theater chains was because prior to the pandemic starting, all right, they were $5 billion in debt. Now, the reason they were in debt, why were they in debt? Uh, because they just spent uh, tons of money. See, what they were doing, mubby, uh, money, what was happening was prior to the pandemic hitting, AMC theaters was doing quite well and they were going through a massive expansion. They had bought new theaters, their existing theaters. They were doing this massive programming of ripping out all the guts of the existing theaters, replacing them with new screens. Most importantly, new leather motorized reclining chairs and sound systems. Seriously, it's one of the best upgrades to the movie going experience ever. Those have been awesome. I've loved going into those theaters with the big leather recliners. It's been great, but they've been spending tons of money on that and spending even more money on their transition to becoming a subscription-based service with AMC A-List, right? Their AMC A-Listing, pay 25 bucks a month, get 12 movies a month, go up to three movies every week for $25 a month. It's crazy. It is the, I've called it the best deal that for film fans ever. Best deal for film fans ever. But it costs them a lot of money to get that program up and running. And just before the pandemic hit, AMC announced that their program was now starting to turn a profit and it was going to just continue to build huge profits for them. But then the pandemic hit. And once the pandemic hit, it all went to crap. And unfortunately it hit just as they hit the peak of their debt of $5 billion. Now this is all stuff we've covered before. But why their position is even more precarious now is this. Right now, because they couldn't generate any revenue because of no movies, right? They couldn't pay their rent. So right now, AMC is in the hole for rent for $400 million. What we've got to remember here is that AMC does not own the vast majority of their theaters. They don't own them. They lease those theaters. They rent those theaters. 
Because most theaters in this country, like are a part of a mall or a part of a big shopping center or whatever, AMC doesn't own those buildings. They don't own those structures. They have to pay huge amounts of rent on those structures. Now, what has happened is in 2020, AMC worked out a deal with most of their landlords to say, look, you've got to allow us to not pay rent right now. Let us defer our rent until later because we have, we just, we don't have the money to pay rent. We don't have the money to pay rent. So can we defer these payments? So they were able to defer the payments, but those payment deferments have added up right now to $400 million in outstanding rent payments that they've got to make to these leaseholders. So that just makes a bad position even worse already. Another thing to consider, AMC has said we need $750 million to stay open. In this uh, statement they put out, they acknowledge that for us to be able to keep going into 2021, we need to come up with $750 million. Not just for the back rent, but just for basic operational needs. We need to come up with $750 million. Here's the problem they face, right? This is the problem we face. Who is going to give them money right now? Who's going to give them money? They came up with a bunch of investors a couple of months ago to get themselves a little bit more money to keep things going. But the further and further into debt they fall, who's going to step up and give them more money? That becomes the question. Their position has become precarious. Uh, one, um, what, what should we call it? One sign of hope is Disney. Now, of course, Disney just did their big announcement stuff the other day. And as a part of their announcements, they said a bunch of our high profile, big blockbuster movies are still going to go to theaters. Black Widow is, I predicted Black Widow was going to go to Disney Plus. I didn't know that it was going to do that, but I really believed it was. And it didn't. They said, nope, we're keeping this thing theatrical. And then they listed a whole bunch of other movies that are going to go theatrical. That in and of itself might, just might, um, make people, make some investors go, oh, maybe there is some hope here. I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying, say, seeing Disney say, we're going to still release a lot of our movies in theaters. And now maybe potential investors seeing that legendary, the director's guild, the actor's guild, the CAA of the agencies, their actors are all rebelling against Warner Brothers right now because of their announcement that they were going to put all their 2021 movies on HBO Max. Some investors may look at that and go, well, Disney said they're going to continue to put their big blockbusters out in theaters. Maybe Warner Brothers may backtrack on what they're doing. And because it's gotten bad. Did you guys see Timothy Chalamet too on Saturday Night Live? On the closing part of Saturday Night Live, he busted out this legendary studio sweater. Of course, legendary is taking Warner Brothers to court over their decision to move Dune to HBO Max and all the actors hate it and the director, Denis Villeneuve, hates it. So, I mean, there's that. So that might, might lead some investors or some equity companies at some point to say, hey, you know what? Maybe it is a good bet to put some money into AMC right now. While their stocks are low, let's get in, infuse it with cash, buy buy heavy, let's see what happens. I don't know. I don't know. There might be a light at the end of the tunnel, but the things with AMC have gotten very, very precarious. On t again, on top of that $5 billion in debt that they were already carrying, uh, 
Now they got 400 million in deferred rent payments and they're going to have to start paying rent again. That's that 400 million is on top of the rent. They just got to continue to pay. Saying they need to come up with 150 million. It look, I'm not ready to make any complete pronouncements yet. I don't think anybody should be. But there's no denying right now that things don't look good for AMC. And you guys know I have a history with AMC. I've got a soft spot in my heart. You know, except for the jackals that run their HR department. But that's a story for another time. There's AMC Theaters is a very dear place in my heart and always will. So it's interesting to see what's going on there. Question is, guys, what do you think about the current situation that AMC finds itself in? Do you think, hey, you know what? Maybe there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe they can dig their way out of this. Or are you thinking, man, this is just looking hopeless for them? Maybe they close down and some other company comes in and buys up their theaters and can take advantage of Disney releasing their stuff. I I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think their scenario is right now? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Mario. And Mario writes... Huge fan. Thank you, Mario. Appreciate that. Now that so many past characters are starting to be confirmed, at least Doc Ock and Electro, that is true, for Spider-Man 3, could they use the same method that they are using to bring these characters in to bring Fox characters in with at least some of the Fox cast into the MCU? Talking about X-Men. They said they have no plans for them for the next five years, but how many crazy things have changed this year? Wouldn't it be a giant window of convenient opportunity to miss to bring them in? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And look, you're not the only person to be asking this right now. I've had a lot of people ever since the whole stuff about Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro, which I'm not going to lie to you guys. That completely turned my world upside down (laughs) like that. Jamie Foxx coming back as Electro fundamentally changed my perception about how the world works. I mean, I'm not kidding. It's that big of a surprise to me. But since then, what else have we seen? You know, we've seen that Molina is coming back as Doc Ock. We've heard multiple reports from multiple uh, uh, sources that, you know, we're going to see Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire back. To to what degree and how big of a, of a degree, we don't know. We don't know yet how how big of a degree that'll be. So it has brought up a conversation I've seen all over the place starting to happen. If they're bringing back in old Spider-Man characters from other universes and other iterations, could they possibly do the same thing with X-Men? Could they do it? Now, let me address this first. Mario, you brought up the point, accurately so, that when initially asked about You know, what are you going to do with X-Men, Kevin Feige? What are you going to do with Fantastic Four? When are we going to see Fantastic Four and X-Men? Are they going to be in the new Avengers movie? Are they going to be in Infinity War? You know, all that kind of stuff. Kevin Feige, you're right, said, listen, I've already got my plans. I've got a five-year roadmap already planned out, and I'm not going to change that five-year roadmap. And a lot of people said, oh, yes, he will. You can't can't wait on bringing in X-Men. But here's the thing. Remember this. That countdown clock of that five-year plan that actually was started on December of 2017. I know it feels weird, but it was that long ago. 
news first came out and I still remember where I was. I was in a theater getting ready to watch a press screening and I can't remember which movie it was. And it was a few minutes before the movie was starting. So I had my phone out and I saw it come across my newsfeed on my phone. Disney is to buy Fox. And I'll never forget that. That was December of 2017. That's not when it was finalized, but that's when the deal became public. 2017, that was three years ago. And it feels, it feels like it was yesterday. It absolutely feels like it was yesterday. But it was three years ago that that all happened, that that announcement came out. So when Kevin Feige said, hey, listen, I found out about it like everybody else did. I found out about it in the news, but I've already got a five-year plan laid out. Guess what? We're only two years away from the end of that five-year plan. Do you think we're going to get X-Men in the next two years? Nope. He's already got all of his stuff laid out for the next two years. So I, it looks like it's he's going to stick to exactly what he said. Five-year plan. And then he'll get to fan. They just announced Fantastic Four. You know that movie's more than two years away from hitting theaters, if there are theaters by the time it comes out. So it looks like he is sticking to that plan. But anyway, let's get back to the main part of this, though. Could Marvel adopt the same kind of principle and that same kind of philosophy of taking characters from former iterations of a particular movie property and bring them into the MCU. Could they do that? Could we see Hugh Jackman back as Wolverine? Could we see Sir Patrick Stewart back as Professor X? Or, you know, the younger versions of Magneto? Could we see Fassbender come back to play Magneto or Ian McKellen back in? I mean, could any of that stuff happen? I'll say this. In this new upside down world where Jamie Foxx is coming back to play Electro and of course where Ben Affleck is coming back to play Batman, anything is possible. Anything is possible. However, I don't think that's going to be the case here. And here's why I don't think that's going to be the case. There are a number of significant differences between the situation of the Spider-Man stuff and the X-Men stuff. One of those situations is... Marvel doesn't really have control over the Spider-Man character. You know, Kevin Feige has said himself that a lot of this crossover stuff we're about to get with Spider-Man, with former Spider-Man, that all stuff came from Sony. Like, that's what Sony wanted to do. And I think it fits in with what Kevin Feige is doing with the MCU overall. So why not? They're, they're going to make it work. They're going to make it go. On top of that, the Spider-Man franchise was hugely successful. Like, I think even Spider-Man 3 with emo Spider-Man. We all remember that. We don't want to, but we do. You didn't like seeing me do that, did you? Cause, cause bad memories, didn't it? Too bad. Anyway, even that movie, I think that made like a billion dollars. <laughs> they made an awful lot of money, right? It was a hugely successful thing. And there was that. Now, with the X-Men... The X-Men has never been a majorly huge blockbuster event types of thing. Like I, none of the X-Men movies ever made a billion dollars. None of the X-Men movies ever came close to making a billion dollars. And it was truly a franchise that ran its course. It was truly a franchise that ran its course. And to a lot of people kind of ended on a bit of a sputter, depending on who you ask, I suppose. Hugh Jackman would probably be the poster child of that. entire. I think it's fair to say that, isn't it? Isn't it fair to say that if you had to pick one person that was kind of the face of that entire era of X-Men movies, it's Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, right? That's fair to say. 
but he's never coming back. He's never coming back. He's done with the, you know, five hour a day workouts and Dwayne, the rock Johnson's diet diet that he gave him to do. And he's done with all that. Uh, he's, he said he's done. I still think there is a possibility. He pops up as a cameo, as a quick fun cameo in a Deadpool movie with Ryan Reynolds. I still think that's a possibility, but as far as him returning and if he's not returning, I don't really see the point. I really don't see the point. It could be fun. It could be interesting, but does it really fit into the way Kevin Feige does business? And I don't think it is. And so for those reasons and others, I'm going to say, I doubt that we will see any of the original X-Men characters come in. I think I, I personally think uh, Kevin Feige is going to restart the X-Men universe from scratch. He's going to start their, the brand new era of X-Men with a totally clean slate. But we live in a world where Jamie Foxx is back as Electro, which means we can't count anything out. Don't take it to the bank. I'm just saying I, I personally feel like I don't think we're going to see any of those original X-Men characters back. I think its era is done. It's time has passed. It had a very, very long run. A lot of movies that they did, most of them really good, some of them not so much, but the era is gone. And I think it's time for uh, Kevin Feige to launch anew. Not to mention the very fact that they're doing this sort of thing with Spider-Man would kind of feel like they're just doing it again with X-Men if they didn't. So I, I would almost kind of suggest that the fact that they're doing that with the Spider-Man property almost makes it less likely that they would just repeat the same thing with the X-Men property. Know what I'm saying? But again... We live in strange times, my friend, strange times. Let's see how all this works out. Okay, guys, with all that down, let's now move into our main topics today or to our uh, live questions. We just did our main topics. Let's move into our live comments and questions today. Once again, if you want to get in a live comment or question, simply use the tip link near the top of the description of this video or enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's reasonable. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. Not going to lie. We have an ass ton. So many have been sent in over the weekend uh, and last night and this morning. We've got a lot to get through. So let's see. We'll, I'll try to get through all the ones that we can. I'm, not, I'm pretty sure we're not going to be able to get through all of them today, but whatever ones we don't get to today, don't worry. We'll start off tomorrow's show uh, with whichever ones we still have left over. So let's not waste any more time and get to your live comments here. Scott Brown writes, am I in the right spot? Mr. Steele should be believed that. Yes, Scott Brown writes, I would like to rec recommend Wallander. Oh, that's the Kenneth Branagh thing on HBO Max. It stars Kenneth Branagh and a, uh, as a Swedish detective and also uh, has a young Tom Hiddleston. Really? Well, it can't be that young. I mean, I didn't that show start like the like in the late 2000s. At any rate, uh, it's very good with great character development. And I think you would really enjoy it since you're a fan of both of them. I am a fan of both Kenneth Branagh. As a performer, yes, but especially as a director and Tom Hiddleston. And I am a sucker for these detective shows. I, I have to admit, I'm a sucker for these detective shows. That's why when I was younger, I even watched like CSI. I never watched the other CSI, like CSI New Orleans or CSI Budapest or whatever all the other CSIs were. But I watched, I used to watch the original CSI. Uh, I'm just a sucker for these detective kind of shows. So I will have to check that out at some points. Thanks for the recommendation, Scott. Uh, Mr. Billy Bob Farting writes, Roger at the communal uh, shitter beans and beer movie blog as, uh, assets 
Assets? You probably means assesses. Uh, that the series finale of The Mandalorian will involve an Avengers Endgame style, toss Baby Yoda around as legends in Star Wars movie history to try to get Baby Yoda to the Jedi. Is this true? Uh, you never know if Gus's movie reviews dot fart beans, whatever it is that you said is reporting it. Maybe, by the way, can we just say it's crazy to think that this week is going to be the final episode of Mandalorian season two. It has flown by. It has absolutely flown by. And, and what they're going to do with it, not sure whether this Jedi character shows up or not. We'll have to wait and see whether or not uh, uh, Carl Weathers shows up or whether or not Rosario Dawson shows up or whatever. It's going to be fun to see, man. It's going to be fun to see. All right. Rob Tari writes. So excited for the new Disney Plus Pixar stuff, especially the Lightyear movie. Surprisingly, no word on Monsters at Work, the Monsters, Inc. show they promised uh, at launch last year. I can't remember. First of all, by the way, I'm also very interested in that Lightyear show. I know some people are upset that it's not going to be Tim Allen doing the voice. Whatever. Whatever. Listen, I love Tim Allen doing the voice of Buzz, too. But it's... Tim Allen didn't write the dialogue. Tim Allen didn't make the character. He's very much a part of it for sure. And I loved him in it, but I think it's actually pretty cool. We're going to get a new voice and it's going to be Chris Evans doing it. For those of you who have not heard, there is kind of a Toy Story spinoff series coming. It's going to be called Lightyear and Chris Evans is doing the voice. And I think that's pretty cool. So I, as far as the monster, I could be very, very wrong about this. I thought I might have heard that Monsters at Work was canned. I again, I could be wrong about that. I now because now that you mention it, I'm thinking maybe I heard it was canceled. But I, again, I could be way off about that. I'm not sure. So just ignore me. Just ignore me. But I am looking forward to Lightyear. Rob Tari also writes, "I'm happy Darth Vader is in Obi Wan. I know you say Star Wars shouldn't keep shrinking the universe, but I think they are hitting a good balance of new and familiar stories. I think of Star Wars like DC. Give us new heroes, uh, but let's check in with Batman too. You know, my biggest problem with the fact that they're bringing." Uh, Darth Vader into the Obi-Wan series isn't even about the fact that Star Wars just continues to shrink their universe. The issue I've always had with it is that it clearly breaks canon because, you know, I talked about this over the weekend on a companion video. When you go back to the original Star Wars movie, the message was clear. It was clearly implied that the last time Obi-Wan and Vader saw each other was during their big duel at Mustafar. When you get into the prequels, the, the clearly implied message of the prequels is that that was the last time, that battle at Mustafar was the final time they saw each other until the events of Star Wars A New Hope. Now, yes, you can play the semantics game. Well, maybe by saying this, it actually meant that. And if you turn the hypotenuse onto the right angle and blub, and then you can come up with some kind of semantic way to make an excuse of how you can break canon and have Anakin there on, on the Obi-Wan show. Yeah, you can play that game, but that was never the intention. The clear implied message of the original films was that the battle of Mustafar was the last time Obi-Wan and Vader saw each other. And now they're going to do this Obi-Wan series and they're going to break that and say that they actually counted each other again. And I can live with that. And, and here I talked about this on the weekend, but here's why I said I can live with that. Because number one, Star Wars has already started. They've already shown Lucasfilm has already shown they don't really care that much about canon. We've already started to see canon being broken, uh, both in the novels and in other things. So 
they already are playing fast and loose with canon already. So it's not like they have been, they have held canon as totally sacred up until this point. They've been showing cracks in their canon resolve for a long time. So it's no big deal. The other thing that somebody as grouchy as me about the whole breaking canon thing has to admit is that when they announced Hayden Christensen was coming back as Obi-Wan, there's no denying it made a lot of people happy, right? Didn't it? Whether you think they should have or not, whether I think they should have or not, the reality is when they announced that Hayden Christensen, good Canadian kid, by the way, was going to come back as Anakin again for the Obi-Wan series, it made a lot of people happy. And really, as I sit back in my chair being grouchy about canon, 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 that's that's me, right? Everything follow canon. That's me. At the end of the day, this stuff is supposed to be about bringing joy to people. It's supposed to be about expanding people's imaginations and giving them fun and giving them an experience and giving them a thrill ride. And as much as I would like them to stick to canon, it made a lot of people happy. Would I? Do I think they should take that back? If, if the option is, okay, look, we can break canon a little bit and make a lot of people really excited and really happy. Or we can stick to canon and not give the audience that gift. And even somebody is grouchy and jaded and stuck in canon, canon, canon as me. Even I have to say, hey, man, it's all about making audiences happy. It's, it's, about, it's about giving people joy. And there is no denying that the announcement of, of the good Canadian kid, Hayden Christensen, coming back to play Anakin again, it has given people a lot of joy, even before they've started shooting the damn show. And so I, 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 so I can live with it. So I can live with it. Canon Schmannon, kind of like Fox's attitude. Continuity schmontinuity. That looks to be Star Wars. And you know what? If it makes people happy, if it delivers us an experience, if it gives us entertainment and it makes everybody feel good for, for you know, an hour a week while watching the show, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board. Count me as on board. I'll, I'm on board with it, Rob. Good question, man. All right. Nocturnal Disney Podcast writes. Campia, great show, mate. Thank you so much, dude. Um, me and my friend have been debating. Uh, legally, would Cox be able to come back as Daredevil or would it be more of a uh, ruby slippers in the Wizard of Oz, uh, no being allowed in Oz, the great and powerful type of situation? Technically speaking, technically speaking, Charlie Cox's iteration of Daredevil cannot be in the MCU. That iteration of Daredevil belongs to Netflix. It is, it is an iteration that, that uh, they have the rights to. Now, Marvel has the rights to Daredevil. They can do whatever they want with Daredevil, but that particular iteration of Daredevil, that's, that's something that Disney can't get involved with. That being said, and this is important, anything can be negotiated. 
Anything can be negotiated. Now, this is all coming up for those of you who have been living under a rock the last couple of days. Rumors have started going around that Charlie Cox may come back in the midst of Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire and Molina and Fox and all these people come back to Spider-Man. There's been a rumor that started uh, going around that uh, Charlie Cox will come back and play Daredevil in the MCU. Uh, None of the major trades have reported that. Like Hollywood Reporter has not verified that. Variety hasn't reported that the rap entertainment weekly you name it deadline none of them have reported that at all but that is the report going around on its surface all other things being equal no mcu couldn't do that but nothing precludes marvel and disney going to netflix and maybe making some kind of deal buying out the rights to be able to do so-and-so or, you know, hey, we'll do this if you do that. You know, anything in this business can be negotiated. Now, I still doubt that we are going to see Charlie Cox uh, as Daredevil, as Matt Murdock in the MCU or in Spider-Man. I still doubt it, but doubt is a far cry from no, that he's not going to be in it. Doubt is very different from I know he's not going to be in it. It's still a possibility. I mean, I doubt it'll happen, but it's very much a possibility because anything can be negotiated. Anything can be negotiated. So whether or not that's what Kevin Feige wants to do, we'll find out. And I suspect we will find out soon enough. Now, obviously, Kevin Feige and Disney never mentioned Charlie Cox coming into the MCU. But then again, they didn't really talk about Spider-Man 3 at all, really. It was mentioned in passing, but it wasn't really brought up. So we'll find out. I think we'll find out much. Look, I know this, though. If it's true that Charlie Cox would come back into uh, would come back as Daredevil into the MCU, if that is true, then the major trades with all their legitimate sources and industry connections and all that kind of stuff, they will find out and they will report it. And when they do and if they do, I'll, I'll probably get right on board with it. But until then, I'm just going to stick with, I doubt it. So that's where we're at nocturnal. All right. Jonathan writes, Hey John, you once said a studio loses millions a week when they don't put out a film. How so? Uh, It's not as if they're adding anything to it. Please explain. Thanks, man. No, I never said a studio loses millions a week, (laughs) not putting out a film. What I have said before is that if you are shooting a movie and all of a sudden you have to stop shooting, That will cost you millions. I mean, not if you're shut down for half a day, but if you got to shut down a a shoot for like a, a, like a week, it's going to cost you millions because you got hundreds of people you got to pay that you don't Hey, It's not their fault. They're, they're contracted to be there. You got, there's all these expenses, blah, blah, blah. Now, as far as a movie that's sitting on a shelf, you shot the movie, it's done. It's ready to go. That will also cost a studio money not releasing it. The longer you got to sit on that movie, the more expensive it gets. Not millions a week, but it does because 95% of the time, even the big studios pay for movies with borrowed money, right? They finance them. So even though like Warner Brothers or Paramount or whatever have all the money in the world, 90% plus percent of the time it's made with financers money. It's made with borrowed money. The longer you wait to pay back that investment, the more interest that occurs. Robert Meyer Burnett actually explains this very well. 
it's not to the tunes of millions of dollars per week, but it adds up to millions. It can add up to millions. So anyway, that's, that's kind of what we were talking about there. Uh, let's see, let's move on. Uh, Gabby writes, uh, hold a second here. Um, okay. Sorry about that. Okay. Next up, Gabby writes, uh, the Taika movie should be a mockumentary about the rise and fall of the, uh, Cantina band. <laughs> of course, Taika Waititi, uh, he is directing. They talked about it at the Disney knows that he is directing a star Wars movie should be about the rise and fall of the Cantina band. Also, John, I used to watch your videos when skipping class in high school. And now I'm an adult with a full-time job watching your videos at work. The more things change. Oh, dude, thanks so much. It's always amazing to me when I hear from people who say, Hey, listen, I've been watching since the AMC days. Or going even further back, like I've been watching since the movie blog days. Like that's where I really got started was in my old website, the movie blog. Uh, so that's uh, that's always cool to hear. So, so hearing people who say they've been watching like since this, a lot of times it's the um, it's the fact that people say they've been watching since the Man of Steel review. The Man of Steel review is the one that gets most uh, most people tell me is when they first found us. But anyway, Gabby, thanks for being along for the ride and being around for so long. I appreciate that, man. Uh, all right, next up. Uh, Stubble McShave writes, over under 60%, Wedge, new actor, has a substantial role in the Rogue Squadron series. I think it's very much a possibility. I think 60% is kind of high. I don't know that I would take that line as a betting line. I think I'd feel more comfortable around the 40% mark which still means legitimate chance. So I'm going to go under 60, but I do believe it's a very, very solid chance and uh, we will see what happens. It, it'll be really great. I love the Wedge Antilles character. Always have. All right, next up. Peace and Purpose writes, John, thank you for the in-depth analysis about Disney Plus you did a few weeks ago. Thank you. I had a lot of fun doing that one. It was it was really fun to do. I really liked doing that one. Thank you for, for watching it. Uh, it was like hearing the rumor. Uh, despite you being a renaissance man, I acknowledge you are not a financial advisor. I started immediately dollar cost averaging into, into Disney. So somebody asked me the other day, literally for, and somebody wrote into the show and literally asked for financial investing advice. You know, somebody was getting started in investing and wanted my tips and advice. And I'm like, look, I am no financial, I'm no investment expert. Let's be very, very clear. I've made a little bit of money in investing. Yes, but I'm just a, a schmo. I mean, that's, I, I don't know anything about it, but listen, right now, peace and purpose, investing into Disney does not sound like a bad idea at all. Investing into Disney sounds like a great move right now. All right. KW Garrett writes. Why does Ben Falcone keep getting directing jobs with his wife? I know with Melissa McCarthy, I'm not a fan of that combination, to be honest with you. His four films include Tammy, 24% of Rotten Tomatoes, The Boss, 21% of Rotten Tomatoes, Life of the Party, 38% of Rotten Tomatoes, and Super Intelligence, 29% of Rotten Tomatoes. Perhaps bad scripts are to blame, but this is a bad track record. Listen, you know, it's funny. You go back to the AMC and Collider days. We've talked about this specific thing. Now, for those of you who don't know, Melissa McCarthy, who I think... I uh, just had an Academy Award nomination. She's a terrific performer. I know some people don't like Melissa McCarthy. Maybe they're a little bit over Melissa McCarthy, and I respect that. I personally find her to be a very entertaining performer. Not always in the best movies, but I find her to be very entertaining when she's in the right material. Like I said, she just got nominated for an Academy Award. So I like her very much. Now, she is married to this dude, Ben Falcone. 
And to a lot of people, the first time you might have seen Ben Falcone was in uh, Bridesmaids. He was the guy on the plane that Melissa McCarthy hooked up with on the plane who was actually a sky marshal. Remember, she's your sky marshal, are you? And he goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's her husband, Ben Falcone. So I get being husband and wife, she can get him to direct, to be the director on, on a bunch of her movies, or she can negotiate. Yeah, I'll do this movie studio, but my husband has to direct. It's not been a good combination. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say Ben Falcone is a bad director. Maybe I should. I have not enjoyed a single movie he's directed. And that combination of him directing his wife is not doing his wife's career any favors. I'm sure he's a magnificent, wonderful guy. Maybe he's even a super funny guy. I don't know. But this whole thing of him directing his wife's things, it, it don't work. And I listen, I have to admit, and maybe this is fair. Maybe it's not fair. But as soon as I hear about a new Melissa McCarthy movie, I go, <gasps> and then when I hear that it's going to be directed by her husband, I go, ah, oh, and I lose all interest. And again, maybe that's not fair. Maybe that's totally not fair, but I'm just being real with you. I, I mean, as soon as I hear that he's directing it, I lose all interest. So yeah. And I, who knows too, maybe she's bad for him. Maybe if we watch, maybe if he starts directing some movies with, I don't know, Chris Hemsworth, it'll be like the best movie of all time. Who knows? I don't know. But it, it doesn't seem to be a good fit to me. It doesn't seem to be a good fit to me. Anyway, next up. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. My Comic Planet writes, Hey, John, did you see the Patty Jenkins teaser for Rogue Squadron? Oh, we just talked about it. A full-scale X-Wing, the end of it with her uh, walking towards the X-Wing in a Top Gun homage style. That was epic. What did you think about it? I thought it was the best promo of the entire Disney. Now, it's not the thing I am most excited about. I am most excited about Shogun. Uh, after that, my next big thing of excitement is the Acolyte. That sounds awesome. I'm very excited about the Acolyte. Uh, but I think my third most anticipated thing is the Rogue Squadron. But it was the coolest announcement. The way they did it was epic. I mean, the way they did it was fantastic. I absolutely ate it up my comic planet. All right next up, Matt Stockberg writes, even with all the huge Marvel announcements, there is still an unclaimed date on November 3rd, 2023. I think they're setting up Young Avengers with Kate Bishop, Ironheart, Speed, and Wiccan from WandaVision, uh, American Chavez, uh, Ms. Marvel, and Casey Lang. I don't think they are. I mean, but again, this is Kevin Feige and Marvel, and, and really, he can do... Listen, everybody forgets today how much everyone scratched their heads when they announced that they were going to do a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Everybody scratched... Everybody pretends today, oh, no, I always knew that was a great idea. Bullshit. Everybody scratched their heads when they announced that they were going to do a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Nobody would have thought that. And actually... It was Guardians of the Galaxy that led me to meeting John Schnepp. Uh, for those of you who don't know the story, when they announced Guardians of the Galaxy, I had read a few, I had read some Guardians of the Galaxy, but I didn't know a lot about Guardians of the Galaxy. So I put out a feeler to all of my contacts and all my friends saying, hey, does anybody know anybody who's like really well-versed in this Guardians of the Galaxy? I'd like to have somebody on my show to talk a little bit more in depth about it. And then a mutual friend of, uh, me and Schnepp have a mutual friend who contacted me and said, hey, I know this dude, John Schnepp. He's a friend of mine. You'll love him. Um, he knows like everything about Guardians of the Galaxy. You should have him. So he gave me Schnepp's contact information. I reached out to Schnepp and he said, yeah, sure. 
And Schnepp came in, made his first appearance on my show, and the rest is history. We talked Guardians of the Galaxy, and we talked afterwards, said, we should do this again sometime. And so, yeah, and, and that's how we kind of got uh, uh, joined up that way. But at any rate, nobody thought Guardians of the Galaxy was going to happen, and they did it. And so I can sit here and say, Young Avengers, that doesn't seem like something they do, but Guardians of the Galaxy didn't seem like something they would do at the time either and look at it. So I'm going to say, Matt, I I don't think they will, but it's definitely on the table. It's definitely on the table. All right, next. Peace and Purpose writes, uh, during the Disney call, the word that stood out to me was churn, uh, a key metric in the world of daily, weekly, monthly active use, uh, user viewers. This signaled to me that their key strategy was around preventing subscription cancellations. What's your take on churn? No, that's exactly what they have to do. What has become a common thing, and probably a lot of you guys do this, I may have done it, is some kind of property is coming to one of the streaming channels. So we sign up for it. Then as soon as we've watched that movie or watched that series, we then cancel. We then cancel, right? A lot of people I know actually cancel Disney plus once they finished watching Mandalorian season one, they hung in there for a bit, but there, there was nothing else really to appeal to them. So they, a bunch of people I know canceled Disney plus after rogue one, then re-signed up when Hamilton came out. Cause everybody wanted to watch Hamilton. And then maybe they stayed on it. Maybe they canceled, but that's not new. I know a lot of people who like sign up for Netflix when like the new season of Stranger Things comes, but as soon as it's done, then they cancel. Then they sign back up when something else comes. Consistent quality content will eliminate the churn. And consistent quality content has not been what Disney Plus has been about for its first year of existence, but it sounds like it's going to be what they're about moving forward consistent quality content is what they're going to be about. At least that's what they say moving forward. Do they, are they able to live up to that? We'll find out. We'll find out. All right, next up, uh, Neo Braveheart writes before 2020, some viewers were asking if fans were getting tired of the MCU. Listen, people were saying that in 2015, seriously, like every year, People are done with the MCU now every single year for like eight years. It's been going on uh, before 2020. Some viewers were asking if fans were getting tired of the MCU. Do you think that the break that we got from Marvel content due to the pandemic uh, has given fans a renewed sense of wonder and excitement for future MCU projects? Um, I don't know. I mean, there is the old adage, right? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. So there is that old adage. And listen, it's not a question about whether people were tired of the MCU. Like after Endgame though, after Endgame, a lot of people just felt like, and this was understandable, it's done. That's the crescendo. And, you know, there was kind of this sense amongst people, you could, you could feel it in the fan community that, okay, now that this amazing crescendo of this 10 year, 20 plus movie buildup to Endgame, and then, like, it all came back down, right? You could feel it. It was real. That didn't mean that people were now bored with the MCU, not at all. But it, it was true to say, I believe, that there was an enthusiasm dip because we just came off the big crescendo. And then they came out with Spider-Man Far From Home, which was really good, but it, it didn't carry the same amount of hype and craze as all the other MCU films kind of had up until Endgame. 
So I remember I did a thoughts on walks talking about how Marvel is now going to have to reposition. They're going to have to, you know, get that hype back, get that enthusiasm back. And I suggested in a thoughts on walks about all the different things I thought they needed to do in order to do that. Um, But yeah, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I think like when, um, when WandaVision comes out, I think people are going to be really excited to watch it. I mean, people were going to be excited to watch WandaVision anyway, because it looks freaking cool. It looks so cool. But I do think the fact that we've all had to wait for so long um, makes a bit, look, I don't mean to be crude, although I'm never afraid to be crude, but Hey, listen, you and your girlfriend can have great sex. But when she like goes away for like a two month vacation or something like that, and then comes back that first time back may not actually be the best sex you've ever had, but it's going to feel like the best sex you've ever had, right? That's what WandaVision is going to be for a lot of MCU fans. It may not be the best MCU entertainment that's ever put out, but it's going to feel like the best sex we've ever had, uh, even if just for a moment. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I think the whole absence makes the heart grow fonder thing will come into play a little bit. All right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, to, to, to where are we at? We're at Venkat uh, Tamala writes, why is Disney trying so hard to push uh, that their Disney series and movies are of the same level of quality? Don't people already know that with stuff on HBO, Netflix and FX stuff? No, I would ar- absolutely argue 90% of the time they're not the same quality. Let me, let me rephrase that. 90% of the time, you can clearly tell when you are watching something made for television, right? And it can be outstanding and fantastic and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is what Bob Iger was alluding to, Bob Iger was alluding to the fact that traditionally what we do is a lot more energy and effort go into a feature film on a per minute basis than goes into a television series. That's not to say the television series can't be mind-blowingly outstanding. Of course it can. But on a per-minute basis, a lot more energy, effort, resources, money, whatever goes into making a traditional feature film than it does going into a television series. It just does. 95% of the time. So what I think Bob Iger was kind of alluding to was moving forward, we at Disney plus are not going to see that distinction as a matter of fact. And this is really interesting. Then cat um, a little while ago, uh, Bob Chapek, the new CEO of Disney who you know still works for Bob Iger, who is still the chairman of Disney, but Bob Chapek, the new CEO of Disney came out and talked about how they just did this whole reorganization And now they have this new department that all the different other departments will report to. And basically what it is, is that Lucasfilm will will make their stuff. Marvel will make their stuff. Pixar will make their stuff. Disney Studios will make their stuff. Disney Animation will make their stuff. On and on and on and on. And then they'll, they'll make the stuff, but they won't decide where that stuff is going. So Lucasfilm can make a new movie, for example. Lucasfilm doesn't get to decide whether that movie goes to Disney Plus or whether it goes to theaters. That's going to be this new department. They will decide where to funnel all the individual entertainment. And if somebody makes a new series, 
this new department will decide, does this series go to FX? Does this series go to Hulu? Does this series go to Disney plus? Does this ser- like, what do we do with it? And I think that's a part of the overall strategy that Bob Iger was talking about on that investors meeting when he said, when he was saying, look, now we're not going to make a distinction. When we green light a project, it is getting every bit of energy and resources that we would put into anything else. We may put it in theaters. We may put it on Disney plus we may put it on Hulu, but everything that we make moving forward is going to be approached the exact same way. And that's simply not the way it's been. That's not to say we haven't had television series that are every bit as good as things we get in movies. Of course there have been, but they haven't been given that same amount of resources that movies have. And Bob Iger's now saying, we're going to give it all the same. Whether they stay to that, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. All right, next up. Quincy writes, as a black male comic and MCU fan, not recasting T'Challa truly hurts. He deserves a trilogy if Ant-Man can get one. Frankly, it's frustrating given uh, given I've seen other heroes recast countless times, yet T'Challa is is one and done. I guess it's black. Uh, it's back to Blade now. Um, listen, I, I get it, Quincy, and I agree. Like, I do not agree with Kevin Feige's decision to not recast T'Challa. T'Challa is far more important than Black Panther. T'Challa, it was the T'Challa character that became an inspiration for millions of people around the world. Um, and that was, you know, so impactful. It was not the title Black Panther that did all that. It was this character, T'Challa. And I think it's a mistake. I 100% believe it is a mistake to not say we will pick up the baton for Chadwick Boseman and carry on this legacy character that he helped establish and we will carry on for him. I think it's a mistake, but I get it. I mean, they're wanting to honor Chadwick Boseman. I get it. It's coming from the right motivation. So I'm not upset with Disney. I'm not mad with the MCU. I get it. It's coming from a good place and, and their decision was motivated by the right motivations. I just think it was the wrong conclusion. But they'll move forward, and I trust Kevin Feige, but I I can understand your frustration, Quincy. I can. Uh, Anonymous viewer just tipped in 10 bucks. Thank you, Anonymous viewer. Appreciate that, man. Yak Attack writes, Longtime fan from AMC to Collider to now. Thank you so much, Yak. Love your work. With everything Disney Plus announced, how much will we actually see the light uh, will... How much will actually see the light of day? Was this more to drive investors and subscriptions or will their aggressive vision come to fruition? Thanks. Oh, their, their aggressive vision is coming to fruition. This is stuff they have been planning for years. This is stuff they have been planning for years. Now, look, once in a while, something gets announced by, say, the MCU that doesn't happen. But that's extremely rare, like in humans. Remember they were going to do an Inhumans movie? <laughs> and then we saw what happened with that, right? That 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 has happened. But it's not say as as typical as say as it was with Warner Brothers the DC stuff. Remember a couple of years ago DC had their investors call and like, "Ah, oh, we're doing a Green Lantern movie and we're doing a Cyborg movie and we're doing this and this and this and this and none of it happened." That's not what Disney does. And that's by the way, I don't believe that's what Warner Brothers does anymore either. Uh, but that's typically not what Disney does. 
They make these announcements, and for the vast, vast, vast majority of the time, there have been a couple of exceptions, but with the vast majority of time, they follow them through. And especially if you're going to announce them at an investor's meeting, you better follow them through because the people you can't piss off are your investors and your shareholders. So yeah, I, I actually believe, Yak, we're going to see all of these things. I think every single thing they announced, we're going to see. Uh, but but they announced that some of these things aren't coming for another two years. So they're at the beginning stages of a lot of them. But I do believe we're going to get all of them. I think we're going to get all of them. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, by the way, uh, good and special thank you to um, who are you here? CH3 and 3N who sent in a, 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 a super chat badge. Thank you for that. Matt's channel M also sent in a super chat badge. Thank you so much guys for doing that in the live stream there. Uh, okay. Let's keep going here. Uh, Canadian Doug writes, is the new Ryan Johnson Star Wars trilogy dead? Listen, I've been saying for ages that, that I believe the Ryan Johnson trilogy is dead. I've been saying that for ages. Even when they said, oh, no, still working on it. I've told you guys, no, 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 no. That, that's just PR speak. They're, it's done. That thing is done. I've been seeing that forever. Um, and I had it on good authority that Ryan Johnson's thing is done. Now, don't get me wrong. I was looking forward to Ryan Johnson's trilogy, especially after watching Knives Out. That dude's, that dude, look, I don't care what you think about The, uh, the Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson is a tremendous filmmaker. He's great. Um, and my God, Knives Out was so bloody good. But I have said forever that that Ryan Johnson thing is done. So let's put it this way, Canadian Doug. I will be surprised, nay, shocked, if we find out sometime in the future that the Ryan Johnson thing is officially actually happening, because I don't think it is. But I've been saying that for, God, at least six months I've been saying that. So but we'll find out for sure. We'll find out soon enough for sure. Uh, Corpse Husband writes, Kevin Feige has created something never before seen in history, an expansive cinematic and TV universe. No other company creates movies that create the type of speculation, theorizing, or anticipation than the MCU does. I'm stoked. Hashtag save the theaters. Listen, there. what, what Kevin Feige and Alan Horn, by the way, we don't give enough credit to Alan Horn. Alan Horn, who is Kevin Feige's boss, uh, Alan Horn has done such a great job, not just with the MCU, but with Disney pictures in total. For those of you who don't, don't know how, how this works, and let me just see here if I can uh, bring this up. Um, for those of you who don't know how this works, uh, let, me, let me do this here. Alan Horn. Okay, so Disney is this massive thing, right? Massive company. And you have there in Disney, you have, uh, you got Alan Horn, right? Now under Alan Horn is the head of uh, all Disney pictures. That means Alan Horn is the boss and in charge of the MCU and Pixar uh, and uh, Disney pictures and the MCU uh, already said the MCU uh, and, uh, Lucasfilm and Disney animation. A lot of people keep forgetting that Pixar and Disney animation are two separate things and they're both doing dynamite work right now. At the head of all of that is Alan Horn. He has been, you know, you've had big Papa Iger who runs all of Disney, but the guy in charge of running all the movies for Disney is Alan Horn. Bob Iger convinced Alan Horn to come out of retirement 
because I, I was it was it Warner Brothers that he used to run all the pictures for? I can't remember. But anyway, Alan Horn had retired, going to enjoy his life. And Bob Iger was like, hey, Alan Horn, buddy, I need you to come on over here and run Disney pictures. And ever since Alan Horn came over to run all the movie divisions of Disney, they've just crushed it. I mean, they've crushed it. Think what you will about Pixar. They make the hits. Think what you will about Lucasfilm and Star Wars under Disney. They just crank out billion-dollar film after billion-dollar film after billion-dollar film. Unpopular fact, the Disney Star Wars films make more money on average per film than the MCU does. I'm not saying that the Lucasfilm puts out better movies than the MCU do today. I'm just saying on a per-film basis, the, the Disney Star Wars films actually make more money per film than the MCU does. I mean, that's all been under Alan Horn. Disney animation has taken off. They've done terrific leadership shuffles under Alan Horn. I'm just saying we don't give, and I'm, I'm as guilty as this as anybody. We don't give enough uh, airtime and talk time to Alan Horn. Of course, Kevin Feige is the mastermind architect uh, of MCU and he deserves all the credit in the world. I'm just saying we often forget to tip our hat to Alan Horn, the dude. And, and I've had my issues with Alan Horn before. Everybody knows this. I've had my issues with Alan Horn, but give credit where it's due. This, this dude I mean, if there is a Hollywood Hall of Fame, he's, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. All right. Doug Saylor just tips in. Thank you so much, Doug Saylor. Uh, Jude Auditor writes, hi, John. Hope you're doing well. I am doing well, Jude. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, while I'm stoked about all the new Star Wars content coming out, I notice that none of them will delve into the Old Republic era. As an Old Republic fan, I'm a bit saddened by this. Will Disney ever touch the Old Republic? Oops, sorry. We had a bit of a jump there. Where were we at? Um... Uh, Jesse Owen, uh, oh, sorry about this, guys. Um, I hate it when we have these jumps. Oh, wait a second. Now we're too far behind. Where did I go? Also, let me see if I let me see if I can find this. I'm sorry, guys. I had a bit of a had a bit of a jump that happened. Um, let me see if I can find it. Okay, I've got we're we're back to the right spot now. We're back to the right spot. Sorry about that. Um when it comes to the old republic, all right? There are a number of things. Now, first of all, look, right now they're going to kind of focus on the Mandalorian timeline because we've got three shows that are going to be in the Mandalorian timeline, which takes place about five years after the end of return of the Jedi. So it's Mandalorian, uh, Rangers of the new Republic and the Ahsoka Tano show. So there's that. And then we're going to have rogue squadron. Not exactly sure when that's going to happen, but it's probably going to be in this rebellion Republic era sometime. But then we've got a bunch of stuff coming in the high Republic, right? Which is like 500 years ago, instead of thousands of years ago, it's 500 years ago. We know that this show, the acolyte is going to happen in that time frame. As of right now, we don't know when the Taika Waititi era is going to happen. The, the Taika Waititi movie that he's working on, we do not know right now what era that will take place in. I do believe they will get into Old Republic. They're not going to do a direct movie translation of like any of the Old Republic games, just like they don't do direct translations of any stories. Kevin Feige doesn't either with the MCU. We talked about that a little while ago. Uh, but I believe at some point they will get into it. There's just too much stuff there. Remember, one of the things Kathy Kennedy said was she made sure to point out we've got 25,000 years, 25,000 years of Star Wars history for us to evolve. I think that was her giving a little bit of a hint that Old Republic stuff is coming. 
I think they've got some established stuff they want to do first and then old Republic stuff. But I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of excited about this high Republic era. At least it's a new era. So let's see how that goes. But I think I, I think at some point we'll be happy to see that they will get into Old Republic at some point. All right, Russell Amador writes, Hey, John, it's looking more likely that Blade will join us in 2023 along with Fantastic Four. My only thought is, damn, this is uh, the one property I'm most interested in seeing how they will handle it, uh, uh, how they will handle, and it's far out, and Ali isn't getting any younger. Oh, yeah, of course he's not. Thoughts? Yeah, listen, the one thing about Mahershala Ali being cast as Blade is that Mahershala Ali ain't young. Hold a second. Like, um, uh, okay, Google. How old is Mahershala Ali? I think he's like 45 or 46. He's 46, right? That's not typically a great age to start a new franchise with. Right, not typically a great way to start a new franchise with, but listen, Mahershala Ali is nothing short of a dynamic electric performer. I mean, listen, Luke Cage was good when he was still on it. Like as soon as Cottonmouth wasn't there anymore, the show did, Luke Cage just didn't work for me anymore. There is something so electric about Mahershala Ali, multi-time Academy Award winner. The dude is absolutely fantastic. It's going to be really interesting to see the do, but, but listen, yeah, I admit it's kind of starting it off at 46, starting like an action franchise at 46. Can he play this character eight years? I don't know. Maybe all I know is that Mahershala Ali is one of the most talented guys in the world right now. And I'm super stoked to see uh, what he, how he's going to play this character. Jesse writes, if Mandalorian is like a space Western, please let Ahsoka series be like a space samurai movie. That was one of my favorite things about her episode of the, of uh, Mandalorian. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe listen, honestly, because remember Rangers of the new Republic, Mandalorian and Ahsoka are all going to be show run by, by John Favreau. Right. And they're all taking, they're all, and they're going to be interconnected. So I have the feeling they're all going to have that same DNA. They're going to have that same Western kind of feel to it since they're all interconnected and happening at the same time and being show run by the same people. So I have a feeling that it will, but yeah, that listen, that whole, what do they call it? Somebody called it space Japan or something. I can't remember what it was, but that whole village and feel of, it, it felt like feudal, like it was set in a feudal era. You know what I mean? That was a really cool episode. And um, it'll be interesting to see, but but that also fits in with the Western motif in many ways, right? So we'll see where they go with that. All right. <clears throat> Next up, uh, Speedfire, Harry Killick writes, hey, John, uh, my book I wrote got me into my local news. Very cool. Good for you. Um, has this ever happened to you? P.S. My book is on Amazon Worldwide titled Laura's Christmas Land Adventure. Um, yes, I still remember the very first time that... I got uh, into the news. The very first time I got in the news, I was put on the front page of my local newspaper. The, the newspaper in Hamilton uh, is the Hamilton Spectator. That's the name of the big local paper, paper in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And I still remember the first time I got, I got front page was, and I still have the newspaper. I still have it here. It was, but it wasn't for one of my movies. It was for uh, the fact that I had just got my first check from Google. 
This was back when I ran my movie site called themovieblog.com. Now, this is going back into uh, the early 2000s, like 2004. I think this is like 2004, 2005, something like that. I had just got my first check from Google Ads for $400. And you got to remember, at this time, some dude jacking around on the internet, just writing what he thinks about movies, got money for it, even though it was just 400 bucks. And this is before I had made the decision to go full-time and just do the movie blog full-time. I left, I left my job at the law firm and I just decided I'm going to do this movie blogging thing on my blog called the movie blog. I'm just going to do it full-time. But the thing that started me thinking about doing that was when I got my first check from Google for 400 bucks. And it was such a novelty that my local paper actually put me on the front, you know, it might've been the front page of the entertainment section. I can't remember if it was the front page of the paper or the front page of the entertainment section. Either way, they put this big picture of me on it. And it's like local blog writer earns income from doing this. I mean, it was a crazy thing. It was a different era, man. It was a different era. When that, uh, when that all happened. And of course, then when I, I made my first little fan film uh, with a bunch of buddies of mine, including my, my buddy Paul Enns, who went on to work at Lucasfilm, he became the director of LucasArts. But this buddy of mine, Paul Enns, and I, we made this, and with a bunch of our other friends, we made this fan film, this Star Wars fan film that was a cross between Godfather and Star Wars The Phantom Menace. And uh, we got... We got, I was, we were on several television news networks doing this thing. We had this big premiere for it. it we got it played at, uh, at Star Wars Celebration and all that kind of stuff. Like that had lots of news coverage. But yeah, it, it's always cool when you get news coverage. We had some news coverage for my movie, um, uh, movie trailers, a love story. It's always fun. It is always fun. When it, so enjoy it, man. It, enjoy it. Uh, it's, it, you put a lot of work into writing a book. Enjoy it. All right. Bojax writes. John, do you think AT&T sold Crunchyroll in order to use that $1.2 billion to help pay out the actors, studios, etc. for all the mess the HBO announcements caused? No. That, listen, the Crunchyroll sale, when things happen on this level, of course, Sony just picked up Crunchyroll. Sony just bought it from them. When sales like this happen, they don't just happen overnight. They take months, sometimes years to conceptualize, structure, and then to finalize. It can take years. So a lot of us on the outside, we look at it, it's like, oh, they just sold this. Oh, and this just happened. They must have did this to do that. No, no, no. This, is, this would have been something that was in motion maybe in, as early as January. I mean, this would have been in motion for a long time. So no, one, one, there wasn't, there's no causality here. As the Merovingian would say in Matrix 2, there's no causality here. It, it's, uh, they're two totally separate things. But I can see why you'd ask. Yaz writes, Disney has 80 million subscribers uh, from one show and a library. Uh, they don't need to gamble their box office money. Warner had to pull a desperation move to get HBO Max off the ground and into the fight. I mean, that's what it was. And listen, the email that Robert Meyer Burnett got from a Warner Brothers source basically said that it was not AT&T. A lot of people, the common belief right now is that it was AT&T that made them do this, that made Warner Brothers do this. But the email Rob got implies that the head of Warner Brothers did it to try to curry favor with the AT&T bosses. And it, it's blown up in their faces. And you're right. As of right now, their launch has been garbage compared to Disney's launch. They have half the number of subscribers that Disney does. 
And Disney's only been around for a year. So it was an absolute desperation move. It was an absolute desperation move. But they've pissed all of their allies off in the process. We'll see how this transpires from here, Yaz. We'll see how it transpires from here. All right, next up. Donnie Yasu writes, I'm not a fan of the T'Challa decision, and I hope they recast him down the road. I can respect it, though. Maybe they'll split his role with Shuri as Panther and M'Baku as King. Uh, I know M'Baku is against tech, but maybe he changed his tune after IW's bear. Listen, it would make far more sense. There is nothing in the Black Panther movies to remotely suggest Shuri knows how to fight at all. She makes her tech gauntlets to fire stuff at people, but she she can't she can't be. I just don't see how you make her Black Panther. There was nothing in those movies to suggest she can be a great combat warrior. Mbaku, on the other hand, could very much be King and Black Panther. Mbaku almost was Black Panther and King. He came this close to defeating T'Challa, like this close to beating T'Challa in the first Black Panther movie, right? He has a rightful claim to the throne if he wants it and to be Black Panther. And Shuri, they never portrayed Shuri in any way, shape, or form as wanting to be head of government or to get involved in fisticuffs. When she needed to fight, she put on her gauntlets and blasted some people. But after that, she wasn't much use. She is the smartest person in the MCU. And I think that's why she likes to live in her lab. So I think it makes far more sense. If you're not going to recast T'Challa, which I really wish they would. But if you're not going to recast T'Challa, the, the one that makes most sense is M'Baku to be both King and Black Panther and then heighten the role of Shuri as well. But I don't know. Who knows? I have no idea what they're going to do. That's just what I would do personally, Donnie. That's that's what I think makes most sense. But we'll find out. All right. Cesar Rivera writes, I was hoping for some Tron 3 news at Disney's Investor Day. Uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, but that's okay. I'm so excited for the Willow series. A lot. My wife is actually really excited for that Willow series. Um, she's like really stoked about it. Uh, it'll help add some variety in terms of premium series. That's true. Uh, on Disney plus also just love fantasy excited for star Wars vision, uh, visions, I should say, uh, Luca, that looks good too. And Loki. Yeah. There's so much stuff there. Like, and the other thing is like, my wife has been watching a bunch of like work. Davis has had this series. Um, my wife has been totally getting into work Davis the last few years. So as soon as they announced, or last few months, I should say, as soon as they announced that they were doing the Willow series officially at the, uh, at the Disney event, my wife lost her mind. She's like, so she's all about that Willow series because of Warwick Davis. Right. And I, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm pretty excited for it too. It's not like one of the most exciting things to me coming out of that Disney investors meeting, but I'm on board with it. I'm absolutely on board with it. All right. Alan Horns Horn writes, do you think Noah Hawley's new show might alienate audiences? I'll give you the drum shot. Will it, Alien, of course, for those of you who missed it, Noah Hawley, the guy who ran the Legion series and was going to do a Doctor Doom movie for Fox before Fox got sold to Disney, he is going to be showrunning an Aliens TV series for FX. Crazy! With Ridley Scott executive producing. Absolutely crazy. We'll see how that turns out. Uh, Quenston Fisher writes, what are the chances Michael Keaton pops up in Spider-Man 3? He is in Morbius as Vulture as well. Well, we don't know. Here, here, okay, here's the thing about that. They shocked the world. Sony shocked the world when in their Morbius trailer, Michael Keaton pops up, right? Who's, of course, Vulture in, in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. 
And he was wearing the same outfit that he was wearing in homecoming at the end of homecoming, by the way. But to be clear, they, while it was implied, Sony never officially said he is vulture in that. They never actually said that. Now, I believe he is. I believe that's what they were implying. But just to be clear, they never 100% confirmed he is playing Vulture in that movie. But since he already is in Tom Holland's Spider-Verse, I think there's a decent chance he could pop up. I give it a 30% chance, which is like a solid one in three. I give it a solid 30% chance there. Well, Well, we'll wait and see. All right, next up. Caillou Caillou writes, you've said it's hard for actors to transition successfully from TV to movies with things moving to streaming. Now, uh, how will this change the definition of movie stars? I think a lot. Now, listen, traditionally, you know, one of the biggest discussions that's always been around the movie world for the past you know, couple of decades has been how truly nearly impossible it has been for actors who start out as big TV stars to then transition to being big movie stars. It's only a handful that have been able to do it and do it successfully. Very, very small number have been able to make that transition. Uh, You can maybe come up with 10, 11, 12. But the new era of streaming, I think, blurs those lines. I think it really blurs those lines a lot. And so I think today and moving forward, there won't be nearly as much of a barrier to somebody who, you know, first becomes really big and famous on a TV show, TV streaming show, being able to make that leap to feature films. I don't think it's going to be as difficult as a move today as it used to be. You know, um, George Clooney once gave this amazing interview about, you know, how how incredibly lucky he was, you know, he got going on ER that he was able to make that transition to movie star. Like he talks about why it is so difficult for so many actors to make that jump and why audiences aren't really interested in them normally. But again, I think that's a different era. I don't think it's that way anymore. I think you're absolutely right. Caillou Caillou. I think it's going to be different from now on. All right. Yodes writes, what do you think? Maguire Spider-Man killed during a team-up battle and Garfield leaves through a portal at the end. post credit shows Madam Web and she sends Garfield to Venomverse. Uh, Sony and Marvel each have a Spidey with Holland uh, only in MCU team-ups. I, I don't know. I think that's getting a little bit too convoluted there. But what somebody, you bring up something here, Yodes, that somebody brought up on the show uh, the other day, which is what everybody seems to be forgetting about, me included, is that Sony is developing a Madam Web movie. And when we're talking about what's going to happen here with Spider-Man 3 and the possible inclusion of Jamie Foxx Electro and all that kind of stuff, none of us seem to be thinking about Madam Web. Now, maybe they don't address Madam Web at all. Maybe they don't address that character in the least in this new movie. But it's something that as we start theorizing that we should keep in the back of our head. So I'm glad you brought that up, dude. All right, next up, Owen J writes, loving all the Star Wars content like Mando, Clone Wars, etc. But it's just a shame that all of these stories lead to the sequel trilogy. Don't want to be negative, but it just makes these stories have a dark cloud over them because of those films. Oh, I disagree. I a thousand percent disagree. Number one, one has nothing. They're not really one has nothing to do with the other. Remember the events of Mandalorian and the um, um, 
uh, uh, Rangers of the New Republic. These things all happen 15 or 20 years or longer before the events of the of the uh, the Force Awakens. So they're separated by tons of time. So there's nothing there. Besides that, The Force Awakens is fucking awesome. I don't care what anybody says. The Force Awakens is fantastic. Um, there's a reason it is still the number one domestically in the U.S., the number one box office film of all time. A lot of people get surprised by that. I mean, the important number is worldwide. That That's the important number. But slightly less important than that is in the U.S. market domestically. The number one box office film of all time is actually not Avengers Endgame. The number one box office film of all time in domestic box office is actually Star Wars The Force Awakens. A lot of people forget that. Interesting little fact there for the day. I think that movie's fantastic. I don't think The Last Jedi was as good, but I still like The Last Jedi. I have some issues with it that I've talked about at length, at length, and I really didn't like The Rise of Skywalker. But whatever. Uh, But The Force Awakens is fantastic. Rogue One is absolutely fantastic. But again, it's really inconsequential because there is so these aren't going to really there will be there will be symbolic connection to the new ones. But listen, nobody watches Mandalorian and thinks about the new movies. They just think about Mandalorian. So I, I really don't think that will change much with the Ahsoka series or with the um, uh, Rangers of the New Republic series. I could be wrong about that, Owen. I, I mean, I could be really wrong about that, but. I don't think it's going to have any kind of a cloud hanging over it for the vast majority of people watching these shows. I really don't. Um, I mean, look, if the events of Mandalorian happened like six months before the events of The Force Awakens, there might be more connection there or more more reason to think. But it's over a decade away. So I personally don't I don't think it's going to be an issue. Personally, that's just me. I could be wrong, though. All right. Jesse writes. I think the Sony slash Marvel deal has one more Spider-Man film and one more appearance in another MCU film. What do you think the chances are that appearance will be in Doctor Strange 2 and Spider-Man 3 will be the final MCU Spidey? It's kind of feeling like a finale. Well, we already know that Spider-Man is going to appear in Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness or Doctor Strange 2. We know that. Uh, Kevin Feige already said, um, I mean, it's Maybe it's possible he doesn't, but Kevin Feige already said that WandaVision, Spider-Man 3, and Multiverse of Madness are all kind of like one story, right? They have an interconnected story that runs through them. I believe that was Kevin Feige pretty much confirming we're going to see Tom Holland in there. Um, And obviously Spider-Man 3. But listen, I I don't think their partnership is ending. I don't think Marvel and Sony's partnership is ending. I think they're going to extend this deal. I think they've got some big plans. Uh, at least it's starting to look like that to me. Now, you never know. They could finish off this existing deal, and then Sony just takes all of its Spidey toys and starts doing something, and Marvel does their own thing, and, and that's fine. And that could work great. That could still be fabulous. But right now, the result of their partnership has been a great Spider-Man homecoming, a really good Spider-Man Far From Home and something everybody's really excited about in Spider-Man 3. I think they're going to all sit down, look at this and say, look, we're all benefiting from this partnership. Sony's benefiting from it. Marvel's benefiting from it. The fans are benefiting from it. Everybody's happy and everybody's making money. And I 
think they will extend this deal. There was a long time where I felt like, nope, this will be it. Like this new deal, there's a reason it's such a short deal. And then they're going to part ways and they'll each do their own thing. But over the past year, I've really come around to believe that I think cooler heads will prevail. I think they're going to say, hey, look, we're making great movies together. We're making money together. The We're expanding the possibilities about what each of us can do. The fans seem really happy. I think at the end of the day, they're going to extend this deal. Again, I don't know that. I have no insider information that says that. I'm just speculating. I think they're going to continue this deal. All right, next up. Um, let's see. Uh, one of two from Mike C writes, uh, Merry early Christmas, Giovanni. Thank you so much. My favorite time of year is Christmas. I uh, just saw your documentary and I loved it. Thank you so much, man, for checking out my documentary. I appreciate that. Uh, it made me laugh, cry and feel unnecessary pride as a film lover. Uh, I am an aspiring writer, director, editor, and you, your show, and now your film are pure inspirations for me. Well, thank you so much for that, man. As the lead editor of several short documentaries, 12 to 15 minutes, I can't imagine the amount of footage editing process you had to go through. All while making a movie, uh, while while making a movie news show, working 24-7. Thanks for being a source of light during these dark times. Well, thank you so much for that, man. And listen, I'm not going to lie to you, dude. It was grueling. It was absolutely grueling. Trying to do the John Campia show, a two-hour daily show that I, I put about 12 to 14 hours a day into prepping and doing. And on top of that, trying to make a documentary. Um, it was absolutely grueling and, uh, Jonathan Voico, uh, was there with me the whole way. Really? I mean, I couldn't have gotten the movie done and finished were it not for, uh, for him and look every single day. I mean, shooting, it was one thing that was hard enough, but then literally for months and months and months, every single day we would do the John Campia show. I would wrap it up. Uh, I would do all my post work that I had to do on it. And then at like one or two in the afternoon, every day, Jonathan Voico comes in. We had set up my living room as a makeshift editing suite with, you know, the screens in the room and him editing and me sitting there on the couch, like going through the notes and, and work for like hours every day. And then he would leave around dinner time. I would have dinner and then work until like 11 or 12 at night to get ready for the next day's John Campy show. And it just went like that for almost a year. And it was grueling. There was even a point in July. You guys will remember this. Back in July, I had to say, you know, we we stopped doing the John Campia show for like three or four weeks. I can't remember exactly how long, but like for, maybe for about three weeks. And I, because I just had to tell everybody, say, like, look, look, guys, I'm exhausted. I'm absolutely exhausted. And it was trying, but we got through it. Um, I'm very, very proud of the movie. Um, and, uh, you guys, the support you guys have shown, not just the movie, but also the show through all that has been amazing. So thank you guys so much for that. And, uh, and again, my friend, thanks for checking out my documentary and best of luck on all your future endeavors and projects, man. And thanks for the support. All right. Darth Grant writes one of two. It really irks me when creatives push so much for a theatrical experience. I love the theatrical experience as much as the next person, but I'm there for the story, the, uh, for the story first and foremost. Whatever it is, the experience shouldn't be what matters most. Uh, I was watching the Disney Investor Day press uh, presentation, and the Soul trailer brought me to tears just from the just from the protagonist playing piano and reminiscing on his past. And I was in my room. Creative should should be cognizant that the experience should be our choice. No, I disagree. I disagree. Um, and, and here's why I disagree. Is movies in and of itself, 
are, how do I, what do I always say? Movies are first and foremost experiential events, right? We go to the movies for an experience. That is what they are primarily. Now, of course, the first consideration, the one thing that you said there, uh, Darth, that I agree with is the first consideration is a great story. So these creators make these great stories. And that is first and foremost, story and characters. Those, that is the first priority. I absolutely 100% agree with you on that. However, a lot of these filmmakers, if not the vast, 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 vast majority of these filmmakers, they make their films and then take their stories that they create and then mold them in such a way to be experienced in their optimal way in a theater, as a communal experience, as a community experience in a movie theater. That is how they want their, their uh, projects made. That is how they want their projects experienced. And of course, then go on to TV and go on to home video and all that kind of stuff later. But they make these films painstakingly, lovingly, and creatively for the theatrical experience. The mass majority, not all of them do, but majority of them do. Story comes first. Absolutely. But there's also, you got to take into consideration the experience of it. And that's how they want their films experienced. To say it should be our choice um, on how to experience it, you are making the assumption that there, in, in the current model, there is no choice. Of course there is. If you want to watch, like, let's say, let's jump back a couple of years. Let's take, for example, um, I don't know, uh, Captain America Civil War. If you want to choose to watch that at home in home video, you had that choice. You, you had to wait a little while, like you had to wait till the theatrical window was done, but the choice was still yours. Nobody took that choice away from you or anybody else. The choice was yours. The one little asterisk was meant that if you chose that you wanted your experience watching Captain America Civil War to be at home, the only catch was you just had to be a little patient. You just had to wait for a little bit, but a short time would pass and it would be available for you. And you had that choice. You had that choice. Now, you may have chosen to go to the theaters because you didn't want to wait for a little bit. And that's cool. I think a lot of people are in that same boat. But the important thing here is that Captain America Civil War going to theaters for first never took away your choice to watch it at home. You just had to wait a little bit. It never took away your choice. What I think a lot of theatrical fans are concerned about is the fact that putting these movies directly to home video is taking away their choice. And for the filmmakers themselves, it is taking away their choice. Because theaters cannot survive if there's no theatrical window. Theaters operate already right now. And we've talked about the, we've broken this down in the classroom before and we've gone over all the economics of it. Theaters already barely survive. Before the pandemic, theaters barely survive on razor thin margins. You know, razor thin margins. They don't make a lot of profit. They make money. They can keep their doors open. They can have good years, but they have very, very thin margins. The moment something comes along that takes away 30% of their business, they can't exist anymore. They close. 
They may be open right now, but long-term they can't survive on that model. Why a lot of theatrical fans have been concerned is because while before, if you wanted to watch Captain America Civil War at home, you still had that choice. Nobody took that choice away from you. It's just that you were going to have to wait a little bit. But if they do what Warner Brothers wants to do and just go day and date every time, they just want to put it straight to HBO Max, that is taking away other people's choices. Now, people who love the theater experience, the way movies are meant to be seen, the way filmmakers mean them to be watched, it means that they're no longer going to have that choice after 2021. They're not going to have that choice anymore. Your choice was never taken away from you. You always had the choice. People like me are going to have our choices taken away. And I think that's the part that gets people upset. And look, that very well may be the way things are going. That may very well be the way things are going. But there's a reason why these filmmakers who are so passionate about the art and so passionate about the movie experience, uh, they want their projects on the big screen. They want the theatrical model there. And like Denis Villeneuve said in his article that he wrote, the director of Dune, like he said in his article on Variety, what most fans don't seem to understand is that movies like Dune will never be able to be to exist with when there's just a streaming model around. Those type of grand scale epics will not be able to be done in the future. So it is also taking away a lot of the options for filmmakers in the future as to what kind of movies they get to make. It's going to be very limiting. It doesn't mean it won't it can't still be great. But it's going to be very limiting. So while I completely appreciate, Darth, that there are a lot of people who they prefer the home viewing experience. I don't understand that. We sit on our asses at home and do everything else every single fucking day of the week. So I don't get it. But I do respect it that there are a lot of people who just they prefer to sit at home and, and watch their movies. Totally get that. Totally respect that. The fundamental difference is you've always had that choice. You're talking now about taking away other people's choices of having that theatrical experience anymore because the theatrical experience can't exist financially in a world where everything goes straight to streaming at the same time. Now, we could talk about this for three or four hours. We could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but and, and but that's the, the basics of it. That's the basics of it to some and why you're seeing. Like, what you got to ask yourself is, huh, why are all these incredibly creative, talented, passionate filmmakers like Denis Villeneuve, like Christopher Nolan, uh, like all the rest of them, why are they so against this? I, I think you need to ask that question. But again, I, I, it kind of seems like that is the way they're all going though, right? So, so the debate might even be moot. Anyway, Darth Grant, I'm glad you expressed your opinion on that. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. And uh, hey, here's just hoping we get good movies, whether they come out in theaters or streaming, regardless. It, it, it will affect, though, the types of movies that do get to be made in the future, though. So that's, that's the other thing I'm a little bit concerned about. But it's the way everything's going. All right, Gamers Genie writes, John, just when I thought you were starting to wise up, you fell right back down into your boomer nostalgia for movie theaters. My question is, why would it be horrible in your eyes for movies to go streaming only? In my opinion, uh, direct-to-consumer is better than theaters. Well, I mean, again, listen, uh, there, there are a couple things we can't... I'm just going to touch on this for a second. We don't have the time to go into it completely. Number one, you're going to get less smaller quality of movies. You're going to get fewer quality movies. You're going to get less scale epic theater, uh, less scale epic movies like Denis Villeneuve was talking about. You know why? Here's why. Disney Plus 
just accumulated 83 million subscribers putting out no original content. They had one season of Mandalorian and they put out Hamilton in an entire year. And they had 83 million subscribers. What that paints for them is a world where they know moving forward, maybe they do this big rush of things right now, but it tells the studios, we don't have to invest all that much money if we don't want to. We don't have to make these big grand scale epic things if we don't want to. It will affect the types of movies that get made. I mean, that's what Denis Villeneuve was basically trying to warn everybody about in that uh, Variety article. And Disney right now, full marks to them, their, their announcement was fantastic. And they're saying, you know, in 2022, 2023, we're going to spend like 12, 14 billion dollars on content. That's great. But when Disney realizes they don't have to spend that money in order to keep all their subscribers and get all their subscribers, they just got 83 million subscribers having zero content other than library content. They're going to scale back because it's going to be good for their shareholders and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, the theatrical experience is just better. They make more money if it goes to theatrical first and then goes to streaming. So it creates more revenue, more money for everybody, better movie going experiences, better experience for a lot of film fans who know that the best way to watch a movie is in a movie theater with other people. Um, there's just too many wins there. Now, I don't think, listen, I don't necessarily think that's what's going to happen, though. I do kind of think it is going that way. And it's not boomer nostalgia, dude. It, it's It's just real. Like y'all can sit on your asses and I do this too. We all sit on our asses every day at home on our couches, like a bunch of fucking losers. That's what I mean. That's, especially that's what I've been doing a lot during that. I've been sitting on my fucking ass uh, during this pandemic. I'm a fucking loser every single day. It's the same thing. Same thing. Just sitting at home, either playing a game on my PlayStation or playing Warcraft on my computer. Either way, I'm just sitting at home doing nothing. I miss the days when I can get together with friends, go out, go see a movie, grab something to eat or drink afterwards. Mm, it's just a better experience. It's not about being boomer or being Gen X, Y, or Z. It's just the way movies were meant to be made. And it's just the, the way movies were meant to be experienced, in my opinion. So, I don't know. There, there's there's a lot that goes into it. Again, Denis Villeneuve, uh, Christopher Nolan, uh, Quentin Tarantino, they all explain it way better than I just did. But that's, that's kind of the thing. Anyway, uh, King Artos of uh, Montivial writes, this is uh, my time writing in. Probably meant first time writing in, uh, but I have been a fan since the AMC days. Thank you so much for that, man. Uh, my question is, why do they need to add Hayden Christensen when Darth Vader keeps his mask on to breathe? Couldn't they just use a talented stuntman and the great James Earl Jones? Listen, that is that is something that's come up, right? That is something that's come up. Why do you need Hayden Christensen? It, like, if you want to have Vader, why does it need to be Hayden Christensen? It's a good question. There are two reasons. One is definitive. One is speculative. The definitive one is just telling people that Hayden Christensen's coming back will get a lot of Star Wars fans excited. We talked about that a little bit earlier, right? So that's the definitive one. The speculative reason, and because this is just totally based on my own speculation, is that what they'll do is that we will see either flashbacks or force projections like we saw in uh, the sequel trilogy or something like that, they will come up with reasons why we will actually see Hayden Christensen. Whether he's, like I said, just in a vision and it's going to be just a good, clean cut Hayden Christensen, whether it's going to be literally with his mask half on or half off and he's got, he's got all of his scars and his burns, they'll come up with a way that we see him. 
That's my speculation at any rate. So the definitive, because it gets fans excited. The speculative, I think they will come up with ways that we actually see him. Whether in visions, flashbacks, force projections, or actually in the flesh standing in front of Obi-Wan and he takes off his helmet to talk to him face to face for a minute before he's got to put his life support back on. I don't know, but they'll come up with ways to do it. They, they must have a reason for it. So I think those are, that's a great question, King. Great question. All right. Uh, Cosman Nikolai writes, hello from Romania again. Hello, Cosman. I've asked a, a Disney Plus agent and Romanian. Let me try this again. I've asked an Disney Plus agent and Romania will get Disney Plus by April of 2021. And I thought by the end, and I thought by the end of 2021. So are we getting HBO Max in between July, December and Disney Plus by April? Well, listen, first of all, one of the great things coming out of that whole Disney Plus announcement and all that kind of stuff has been that they are indeed carrying on with their roadmap of expanding into new territories and being in new places. And you know, HBO Max has those plans as well. Now, look, I may bash a lot on how badly HBO did their rollout. And I may, like everybody else in the industry, hate their decision to take all their movies in 2021. I get I get it. I do. I get it. But I just don't like the, the thing. The reality is, is I think HBO Max is a fabulous service. I mean, absolutely fabulous. I love HBO Max. A lot of that just comes from the fact that I love HBO, period. HBO Max is a fantastic service. And I'm, I'll tell you straight up. Right now, this moment, if I had to choose from what's available right now, not for what's going to be available over the coming one or two years, but if I had to choose right now between, and I could only have one, between Disney Plus and HBO Max, I'm taking HBO Max right now now that may change once all this new content starts coming out but that's just how good i think hbo max is and you know they're going to have they have plans as well for broader rollouts but yeah it, it was one of the big exciting thing cosmo that they will finally be rolling this uh, disney plus out to more markets you knew that was always their plan and it's good to see that those things are going to be happening and i hope everybody gets it soon I hope everybody gets it soon, and I hope HBO Max is going to be able to roll out internationally as well into more markets. All right, thanks for writing that. Garden Variety Vagabond writes, John, just saw the Disney Gallery Mandalorian documentary with Favreau and Filoni. Starts back up for a second season on Christmas Day. Yes, it does. Uh, can't wait to see what else they have to share. Hope it gives more info on Ahsoka, Rangers, and Obi-Wan shows. I don't think they will, to be honest. Now, for those of you who don't know what Garden Variety Vagabond is talking about, one of the really cool things that they put up, not premium content, but was a really cool thing that Disney Plus put out is after Mandalorian season one was done, they put out that documentary series, right? Um, the uh, Disney gallery Mandalorian. I think it was four or five or six episodes. I can't remember how long it was, but it was a, basically a little documentary series documenting season one of Mandalorian and what went into it. And it was really interesting and I enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed it a great deal. I do think, though, now that they're doing it again, I really do think it will be sticking to talking about Mandalorian Season 2. I don't suspect they're going to be using this. Series. Again, I don't know this is a fact. I, I just suspect. I don't think they're going to use this as a platform to talk all about the upcoming Ahsoka show and to talk about the upcoming Ranger show and to talk about their future plans of Bo-Katan. I don't think they're going to use that. I think they're going to use this to talk about Mandalorian Season 2 what went into it, what their thought process was, talk to all the different directors that made all the different episodes, walk through the season and stuff like that. 
I don't think they're going to use it as a Comic-Con to talk about upcoming projects. They may allude to them a little bit, and maybe they'll pleasantly surprise us, and they will, but I, I don't think they will right now. We'll have to wait and see. All right, next up, Garden Variety Vagabond also writes, I see that Pennyworth returns on Epics on Sunday the 13th. Do you plan on watching this season? Since it's on Epics, I plan to binge it when it's done. Also, uh, binge latest season of Britannia. I never did watch that. So I only add Epics for one month to my Amazon Prime bill. Here's the thing about, for those of you who don't know what Pennyworth is, Pennyworth was this show that I thought was a stupid-sounding idea. It's basically a show about young Alfred from Batman. Young Alfred Pennyworth, the guy who goes on to be Batman's surrogate father and, and fateful butler, Alfred Pennyworth. Pennyworth, the show, is a show about him when he's younger, right around the times when he first meets a younger you know, uh, Thomas Wayne and whatever, but following Pennyworth and what makes him such a badass. And I thought the show sounded like a completely stupid idea. I watched, I think it was the first four episodes of Pennyworth because it was available for free on Amazon Prime because I don't have epics. I watched the first four episodes of Pennyworth and I really liked it. I thought it was really quite good. Kind of different from what I was expecting, but I thought it was quite good. But I never did watch after that because I wasn't going to sign up for another streaming service for another entertainment channel just for one show. And so I never saw Pennyworth beyond those first four episodes. Now, I think somebody was telling me that the other episodes may be available now. Um, they may be available online now to watch without needing to actually have epics. I'm not really clear on that and I'm not really sure about that. But I'll have to go and check into that because, again, from what I watched, it was really fun. It was really fun. So if I can find the rest of season one, I'll go and watch the rest of season one. Then I'll wait for season two to become available. Or if Epic starts to add more stuff that I'm interested in. But I just, I, I subscribe to so many of these streaming networks that I now pay more for my streaming networks than I did for cable back when I used to have cable ages ago. I now today pay more than I did for my cable bill before. Never would have thought that would have happened. So I can't just keep adding new streaming services just for like one show at a time. You know what I mean? So we'll see. But I, I did really like it. I really liked it. All right. Uh, oh, gosh, we've already gone overtime. Let me just uh, crank out one more from Garden Va uh, Variety Vagabond. Hey, John and Rob. Rob's not here today. Are you looking forward to The Expanse returning this Wednesday? Oh, I'm so looking forward to The Expanse returning. I didn't know it was coming back this Wednesday. I didn't know it was coming back so soon. I love The Expanse. I never did watch The Expanse, and a bunch of you guys told me I should start watching it, and I binged the whole thing. Love it. Uh, I love the world building in this show. I feel like it would be a great old-school role-playing game, not computer game. Oh, totally. The Expanse? I'm really big into tabletop role-playing games. Like, I play in a D&D &D group and a Star Wars role-playing game group and stuff like that. I love tabletop RPGs. They're the best. Um, the Expanse would definitely make a great uh, role-playing game. It totally would. And I cannot wait to watch that again. Uh, all right. There was one more from Garden, uh, Garden Variety Vagabond who writes, also with Cyber 2077 uh, coming out as a video game, did you ever play the old role-playing game loved in the late 80s? No, I never did play the old role-playing game. I played a bunch of old role-playing games, but most of them revolved around, so I played obviously a lot of D&D. I played this role-playing game that is no longer around, but it was fantastic. It was called DC Heroes. 
DC Heroes is what it was called. And basically, it takes place in the world of, of DC, but you create your own characters, right? I loved that game. I thought that game was great. Uh, I played, obviously, a lot of Star Wars role-playing game as well. Uh, but those that was mostly where most of my role-playing games kind of all took place was Star Wars Superheroes D&D. That was my, I never really did play Pathfinder, although a lot of people, I had some friends try to get me to join a group, but I was just too busy at the time. But uh, no, never did play the Cyberpunk RPG. I, to be honest with you, I didn't even know there was a Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk 2077 RPG, uh, to be straight up with you. So I didn't even know that. All right. Here's what we're going to do, guys. Uh, from Loki Doki, uh, Anonymous, Orange Hand, and on. Do not worry. We are going to get to your questions. You know, I might do a companion video later today. You know what? Maybe, you know what? I think I'm going to do that. I think a little bit later today that we've got so many questions still to go that I think instead of making you guys wait until tomorrow, I'm going to do a companion video a little bit later today, and I'm going to get through a whole ton more of your questions. We're going to get caught up or at least as close to caught up as we can. So instead of making you guys wait for your questions to be answered on tomorrow's show, I'm going to make a companion video later today and get to them today. So uh, give me a couple of hours to get one of those up and online, and we will get to that. Uh, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campia Show, thank you so much for being here. Special thank you to all you guys who took time out of your day to make this show part of your day. I know you have a ton of other things to do. So the fact that you would come and hang out with the community here is absolutely awesome. And also a special thank you to all you guys who sent in those live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. Also, guys, don't forget, if you haven't done so already, why don't you take a second, click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to the YouTube channel here. It'll keep you up to date on all the things that we've got going on around here. All right, guys, please make sure to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.